Corey Tin Boone, who, if you're not familiar with Corey Tin Boom, she and her family actually hid Jewish people during the Nazi uh, Holocaust of World War II. They were finally caught and they were put in concentration camps. She lost some of her family members in the, the concentration camps. Uh, she was finally freed, but uh, she's the real deal. She lived through some tremendous suffering and loss. And this is what she said. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. We'll see the Apostle Paul exemplify that in his life today in the portion of the Bible study we'll be looking at. We began a study through the letter of Philippians last time. The Apostle Paul is in custody in Rome waiting for his day in court before Caesar to defend himself against the accusations that the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem have brought against him. He's going to be in custody for two years before Paul is finally given his opportunity in court. And during this time of waiting, Paul continues to preach and teach about Jesus Christ to others in whatever way is available to him. He preached to the Roman soldiers that were guarding him. He taught the people who came to visit him. He wrote letters to people and to churches and other places. And one of the churches that Paul wrote a letter to during this time was the church in the city of Philippi. The church in Philippi had been started by Paul on his second missionary journey some 10 years earlier, and now 10 years have passed. It is a thriving church, and he writes this letter to them while he is in custody in Rome. Uh, the letter Paul wrote is what we have in our Bibles called Philippians, and if you have your Bible, you can make your way over to the book of Philippians as we get into the study. Within his uh, this letter, he begins it with thanking the church for their kind and generous support of his work. He considers them partners with him in the ministry, sharing in the work and the rewards of what the Lord has been doing through Paul. And within his thanks offered to the Philippians, there's one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible to Christians. It's in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where he says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is a tremendous promise for all believers that the Lord is going to finish the good work that he started in our life. He is going to complete our salvation. He's going to continue to work in us, creating full Christ-likeness in us, and finally bringing us home to himself. What we see right now in our life is just the beginning of all that the Lord has for us. Well, today we're picking up in verse 12 of chapter 1 of Philippians. And in the verses we're going to be looking at today, we're going to observe Paul's attitude in the face of what could have been very frustrating, very disappointing, very frightening circumstances in his life. But rather than being discouraged or paralyzed by fear, he's full of joy. And that sounds like something that we can hear in the situation that we're living in too, doesn't it? Well, let's flip and begin to read in verse 12. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. 
As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The people in the church back in Philippi had heard some very troubling news about Paul's incarceration in Rome. They are afraid that Paul will be executed, and they're concerned that he has become discouraged and defeated. Well, Paul is responding in this letter to their inquiry about his fate, reassuring them that he's going to be okay no matter what happens, and the Lord is going to continue to do his good work in spite of how things might appear. In fact, rather than Paul's imprisonment stopping the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has actually helped to spread it to places and in ways that had not been anticipated. Two examples then are given here by Paul. The first example is Paul's imprisonment has helped the gospel be spread throughout the military in Rome, including the elite soldiers serving directly under Caesar himself. See, this is a group of people that someone like Paul would normally have had no kind of personal interaction with. This is a social circle that would never intersect with the circles that Paul was part of. These are people, classes, that would normally never interact with one another. Elite Roman soldiers and a nobody Jewish tent maker from Tarsus. They would just never cross paths normally. But because of this unique situation of where and why Paul is in custody, he's given the opportunity to have direct interaction with some of these people. And Paul, he doesn't waste the opportunity. He tells these guys about Jesus. There was at least one of these Roman soldiers assigned to guard Paul at all hours every day, literally chained to him for two years as Paul waits for his hearing before Caesar. And every soldier guarding Paul got an earful about Jesus Christ. Many of these soldiers became believers in Jesus, followers of Christ. And they in turn spread what they learned and experienced to others. And so the gospel was being spread throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else there, as Paul says here in verse 13. The second example that he gives us, another unexpected blessing from Paul's imprisonment was the effect that it had on many of the other believers in Rome. They were becoming more confident in the Lord and daring all the more, he said, to proclaim the gospel without fear. Well, why would Paul's imprisonment cause the other believers to be more courageous to speak about Jesus? Conventional wisdom would predict just the opposite to happen when these believers see the suffering that Paul is going through for his refusal to stop preaching about Jesus they would then shut their own mouths not wanting to risk suffering the same fate but that is the thinking of the persecutor isn't it that is what they hope to accomplish by persecuting the church they think that if they beat down the believers and even kill some of them that it will intimidate the rest of them so that they will stop preaching and perhaps even abandon their faith in Christ. But that is not what happened in Rome during Paul's imprisonment. 
And actually, it's not what has ever happened throughout history in the church. Persecution has never stopped the gospel from spreading. It's always had just the opposite effect. Well, Paul's courage inspired these other believers in Rome to be more courageous. Courage is infectious in this way, isn't it? One individual willing to take a stand in the face of great opposition inspires others to take a stand as well. One spark can light a fire. Paul was the spark that lit a fire among the believers in Rome. Paul's example inspired these other believers to speak with their family and their friends and their neighbors and co-workers and people they encountered in the market and so forth. Well, let's talk for just a moment at this point about our own situation and how it connects with this situation that Paul found himself in. See, Paul... He reassured the believers in the Philippian church that he was going to be okay no matter what happened. Whether he was released soon or he remained in prison longer, whether he lived or whether he died. Rather than Paul's circumstances stopping the spread of the gospel and the Lord's good work in the lives of other people, it helped in ways no one had anticipated. Well, the same can be true about the situation that we are in right now with this coronavirus. Rather than the coronavirus stopping the spread of the gospel and the good work of the Lord in people's lives, it can actually do just the opposite. An example, we're not able to meet in person as a church right now. And that may be disappointing. It may create some interesting challenges for us. But the Lord can use this in ways that no one anticipated. Maybe for you, you've found a new appreciation for gathering together. And when this is all over, you're going to make sure you get to church on dime every single week. Maybe you've discovered some new sources for learning about the Lord. Online, you've discovered other churches and other you know, uh, you know, books and websites and all kinds of things out there as you've tried to fill your time and you've been desperate to get some kind of input. Maybe you've found yourself drawing closer to the Lord as your life has slowed down and distractions have been removed from your life. All of a sudden, you can now hear the Lord again because all of that noise from all of the other stuff that we've been engaged in has been taken away from us. Another example, as our time at home has increased through the shelter-in-place order, the normal circle of people that we interact with has shrunk. But have you also noticed new interactions taking place with people that you didn't interact with before? I mean, people at the grocery store maybe who would have never talked to each other before. They're now engaging in conversation, aren't they? Because they're so desperate for human interaction. The neighbor that you never spoke to before, you're now getting to know. Six feet away, of course. But you're engaging it with these people. The circle of people that Paul could interact with got very small when he found himself in that Roman prison for two years. But that circle included people that he would have never had an opportunity to interact with otherwise. So look at your situation differently. People are worried, they're afraid. They're asking big questions about life. They're looking for hope and encouragement. 
This virus thing, it, it feels suffocating and brooding, casting a heavy cloud over everything in people's lives. As a follower of Jesus, you have hope that others don't have. Share that hope. Be a person of hope and encouragement for others. When people provide an opportunity for you to share with them about what gives you security in the midst of this very insecure situation, be ready with an answer. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Verse 15. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Not all of the people who were preaching Christ in the city of Rome were doing so from good motives. Some were telling others about Jesus with the sincere motive of wanting to see people's lives changed, to experience the peace of having their sins forgiven and brought into this new personal relationship with God. They saw themselves as helping to carry out the same work that Paul would have been doing himself if he were free to move about in the city of Rome. They were not in competition with Paul. They were all on the same team, partners in the work, together serving Jesus Christ. But there were others who were preaching, as Paul says, out of envy and rivalry, out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they could create trouble for Paul while he was in prison. Now, we're not told particulars about what was going on, but if we were to speculate, knowing a little bit of something about people and human nature and the way we behave, uh, it probably went something like this. These people saw Paul as competition to themselves. They saw Paul as a threat, as someone who was trying to move in on their turf. They've been evangelizing the city of Rome, trying to grow the church. They've enjoyed being this being the center of attention, the experts, the answer men, the people who others come to for advice and guidance. But since Paul, the big apostle, has come to town, their place of influence and importance has diminished. These people are preaching about Christ, but their motive is to gather people into their own group under their own influence rather than simply to see people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, having their lives changed through a personal relationship with God. In an effort to gather people into their group, it appears from what is said in the letter here that they're slandering Paul, suggesting he's not everything that he appears to be. I mean, if he were really a truly godly person, person would, would he be incarcerated like this? I mean, how do we know what the charges really are that have been brought against Paul? Why would he have been sent all the way to Rome to stand trial if he truly is as innocent as he claims? 
you would do well to steer clear of this Paul. That's probably the kind of dialogue that was going on. It's the same kind of stuff that we see in our own day. Christians, churches, competing with each other rather than working with each other, forgetting that we're all working for the same boss, Jesus, forgetting that we are not to be the center of attention, He is, forgetting that we are to be all about building His kingdom rather than our own little kingdom. Envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, they're not from the Lord. They're from the dark side of human nature, aren't they? You remember what James wrote in James 3.14? It says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Well, as disappointing and disillusioning as it might be to hear how these followers of Jesus are working against Paul, having less than stellar motives for what they are doing, being envious and jealous and competitive and selfish and personal empire builders, look at how Paul responds to it. In verse 18, he says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Rather than experiencing, or rather than expending his time and his energy fighting against these guys, trying to expose their bad motives and defending his own character against their attacks, Paul looks at all of it from a different reference point from a Christ-centered reference point. Rather than considering how this is all affecting him personally, he considers himself, he, he, he concerns himself, I mean, with how it's affecting the kingdom of God, the cause of Jesus Christ, the impact of the gospel in the lives of people. He, he just takes himself completely out of the center of it all. Is Christ being proclaimed? Are people coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ? That was the overriding importance of it all for Paul. It didn't matter what was happening to him personally. And what was the result in Paul's personal life of having this kind of perspective about things? Joy. Joy. He's rejoicing over the rescued lives and the spread of the Good news that salvation is available for all people through Jesus. So much of our energy in life is spent looking out for ourselves, isn't it? Protecting our interests, defending ourselves, promoting ourselves, trying to get ourselves ahead of everybody else. And the thing we're trying to obtain ultimately through all of that is joy. We want to be happy. But joy eludes us when self is our goal. When we make it all about me 
It's just a feedback loop of disappointment. Self-focus robs us of joy rather than giving us joy. When we make Jesus Christ the center of our life, the thing that we concern ourselves with, then joy, the thing that we really want, can be ours. And this is so counter to our normal default way of thinking. Lord, help us. Change the fundamental way that we think, the way we approach life, the point of view we see things from, Lord. Lord, help us see life with you as our reference point rather than ourself as our reference point. Well, to help prevent one possible misunderstanding here, I think it's important to point out that Paul was willing to overlook the questionable and even hostile motives behind the preaching of some of these people. But Paul was not one to put up with false doctrine or incorrect teaching about Jesus, ever. We see many examples of Paul confronting false and incorrect teaching about Jesus. Significant portions of most of his letters in the New Testament are taken up with combating and correcting false and incorrect teaching about Jesus. Paul, he didn't play around when it came to the content of the preaching and the teaching. It better be the right stuff. He made no compromise on the content of the preaching and the correctness of the theology. The content of the preaching by these other guys was apparently solid since he had no criticism about that. It was their motives that were questionable. Paul's attitude is the polar opposite to what we commonly see in our own day. In our day, we see a willingness to overlook the content and only concern ourselves with the motive. It's sometimes expressed this way, well, as long as they're doing it with a good heart, then it doesn't really matter what they're saying. In contrast to that, Paul's saying, as long as they're correctly preaching Christ, then I'm willing to overlook the questionable motive. The idea of truth has been so eroded in our day that we accept every point of view that anyone puts forth. Ideas are not challenged anymore. What is overridingly important in our culture is how we feel about something rather than if something is true or not. It matters what we believe. It matters what we believe. Not all beliefs are correct. Not all beliefs are beneficial. Some beliefs are actually harmful. Now obviously, content and motive both matter. Truth matters, motives matter. Accuracy matters, attitudes matter. What we see Paul doing in this passage in Philippians though is recognizing priorities. Getting the word out about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us is more important than these personal attacks against Paul by these guys. Verse 19. 
For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The real possibility existed that Paul could end up being executed if his hearing before Caesar doesn't go well. The Philippians have expressed concern about that, and Paul is seeking to then reassure them here. He's confident that through their prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, that no matter how things turn out, that Jesus Christ will be honored. Honoring Jesus is Paul's overriding concern, whether in living or in dying, he says here. Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul is struggling between living and dying. But not in the way that we normally struggle with living and dying. Paul, he wants to die so that he can be with Christ experiencing indescribable eternal joy. He also wants to remain in this life knowing that it will mean more fruitful labor serving Jesus for this in, in benefit of these other people, ministering to them. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul believes that he will not be executed, but rather freed by the Romans so that he can continue helping the Philippians and others grow in their faith in Christ, and that this would then result in joy for both of them. Now, again, let's talk for a moment about our own situation here. Because this certainly bumps up, bumps up against our life. Paul was facing the very real possibility of dying. He didn't know for certain what the outcome of this trial is going to be. A similar possibility has become a lot more real and relevant for us too in the days we're living in, hasn't it? Under the threat of this coronavirus. As you, I'm sh- sure, No, if you have been following all of this stuff in the news over the last few weeks, we've been told that the death rate for the virus is somewhere around 3%. Some believe that it could be considerably lower than that, and let's all hope it is. But in, in any case, no matter what that is, this virus has killed thousands of people. I looked at the World Health Organization website this morning, and it said that, As of this morning, 30,000 people have died. 
and it's believed that many more will die before this is all over. Now, whether we want to say it out loud or not, the thought is in the back of all of our minds that we could be one of the ones who dies from this virus. No matter how old you are, young and old, rich and poor, I mean, this, this, this thing is, a, is an equalizer among humanity. We've all lived under the threat of dying our whole life, even before this virus came about. I mean, the moment that we breathe our first breath in this life, we are also under the threat of dying. That's just the nature of this existence we have. But that threat of dying has been thrown into our face constantly, hasn't it? And it's going to continue to be thrown into our face for a while. And the big question is, are you and I ready to die? Paul faced that question. How do we live under that reality? We do it the same way Paul did. We center our life around Jesus Christ to such a degree that we can say with Paul the words in Philippians 1.21 where he said, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you remember what Jesus told us in Matthew 6.19? He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We have to ask ourselves, where is my treasure? Here or there? C.S. Lewis asks the question, has this world been so kind to you that you should leave it with regret? (laughs) Think about that. And then he says, there are better things ahead than any we leave behind. Jesus said in John 14, 1, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. We can be ready today by embracing Jesus Christ and making Him the center of our life. There is nothing in this present world that gives us the kind of security that we need to face death. We need something outside of this present world and that thing is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the promise that he's given us that we will live forever with him. Johnny Erickson Tata wrote, The best we can hope for in this life is a knothole peek at the shining realities ahead. Yet a glimpse is enough. It's enough to convince our hearts that whatever sufferings and sorrow currently assail us aren't worthy of comparison to that which waits over the horizon.
Well, in closing, the key to real joy in our life, Paul says, is getting ourselves out of the center position, becoming Jesus-focused and others-focused, allows us to find joy even in the most difficult and challenging situations. For Paul, situations like finding himself chained in Roman custody for two years waiting for his day in court, people maligning his good character and questioning his good motives, facing the possibility of being killed, executed for telling others about Jesus. Think about your own life and your own situation that you're facing. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe it's scary. Maybe it's joy-killing. Self-focus robs us of joy rather than giving us joy. Looking out for me never leads to joy. It's a feedback loop of disappointment. Putting the Lord in the center of my life brings me joy and peace. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for the words that you speak to us through the Apostle Paul in this letter of Philippians. Lord, some of this medicine is a little stiff to take at times, but right now we need some stiff medicine. We need to be reminded of where our real hope lies, where we can find real security and real joy in the midst of a world that is completely incomprehensible at the moment. Touch your people with your peace and your joy, Lord. And I pray for anyone who's been part of this Bible study today that if they don't know Jesus Christ personally, yet that today will be the day that they do that. That today they'll go, Jesus, I want to follow you with my life. Come into my life and change me. Forgive me of my sin. Take my guilt away before God and give me this new life that I can have in you. Full of hope. Make these things so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.